We continue our summer of Psalms in Psalm 103, uh, beginning in verse 1 and continuing all the way to the end. So Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place no longer acknowledges it any longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God of all things, who creates, loves, rules, and redeems, who has made himself known to us, though we are as meager as dirt and as fleeting as a spark. Help us to be mindful that you are God, almighty, eternal, all-powerful, and we are not. And knowing this, let us rejoice and bless your holy name. And at the same time, let us not become prideful or arrogant, Let us not confuse patience with acceptance of failure on our sins. But help us, God, to be fearful, to keep your covenants, remember your word, and walk in your ways. The heavens declare the glory of who you are. Help us to always do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dr. Craven. Thank you, Steve. for leading us in worship this morning. Appreciate that so much. One day, a woman died and went to heaven where she met St. Peter. Peter said to her, I've looked over your life and you're welcome into heaven under one condition. She replied, thank you, St. Peter. And what is that condition? Peter said, you must spell the word love. So, She spelled the word, L-O-V-E. And St. Peter admitted her to heaven. 
As she walked into heaven, St. Peter asked her to watch the gate until he returned because he had something important to go discuss with the Lord. Peter reminded her that she must ask whoever comes to the gate to spell the word. A short time later, the woman's husband showed up at the gate. She asked him, what are you doing here? He told, (laughs) don't, don't go ahead of me like that. (laughs) I know what you're thinking. It is not right. Okay. It's not right. (laughs) He told her that on the way home from her funeral, he was involved in an accident and died. The woman told him, all right, but before you enter heaven, you must be able to spell a word. He asked, what word is that? His wife answered, Czechoslovakia. So this morning we're talking about mercy. And sometimes to understand a word, it's better to understand, it might be easier to understand what it's not. That is not mercy. That is problematic. We are, in fact, uh, in, in the midst of a series on the attributes of God is what we are doing. Much of that may be in Psalms, but it is the attributes of God. Pastor Aaron has kicked us off for a few weeks. God's infinitude, God's goodness today, God's, or, and then God's justice, and now today, God's mercy. The mercies of God, God's mercifulness. To take a bath in God's mercy is a wonderful experience. It is a wonderful thing, and I pray that that's what we get to do this morning, is take a bath in God's mercy. So first, let's define it. What is mercy? In a very simplistic way, it is not getting what we deserve. That's what mercy is, not getting what you deserve. You're driving down the highway, and you're speeding. You get pulled over by a trooper. He says, you were 10 over, but I'm going to let you go this time. That was mercy. Not getting what you deserve. It's a penalty withheld from the one who deserves that penalty. The penalty is withheld. I want to tell you a quick story that's related to this. When I was in seventh grade, this is in Brazil at a boarding school where I was attending. My dad was the principal of the school. This is in 1974 that this took place. We had in our school a check and demerit system. If you misbehaved and got caught... you might be awarded a check. And when you accrued two checks, that made a demerit. And when you got a demerit, you were required labor. And at that time, there was a large hill that was being excavated so we could put a building there. So when we got a demerit, when those who got demerits received demerits, They were given a hoe and a shovel and a wheelbarrow and told to go dig on the hill and haul the dirt away to somewhere else where they were filling it in. One afternoon in class, it was the afternoon, a buddy of mine named Tim, close friend of mine, he and I hung out a lot and I went up to the teacher's desk, Mrs. McKnight, she's about four foot 11, little Miss McKnight was my Portuguese and my English teacher and uh, had a question on my way back to my seat. Tim was right there. We smiled at each other. I went and sat down, and she goes, okay, boys, you got to check. Yeah, huh? It's right. I mean, come on. I'm innocent, dude. Come on. I'm innocent. 
And that check actually gave us both demerits. So that meant that, after, that day after school, we would have to go out and do some labor, 45 minutes worth. But we're innocent. So after school, Ms. Matt, can we talk to you? Ms. Matt, we didn't do anything. We're standing out in the hall of the school. We didn't do anything. All I did was smile, and, and you, we just didn't do anything. She's listening, and finally she goes, all right, this time, boys. In that very moment, the principal of the school walked around the corner, who was my father, <laughs> and he heard Mrs. McKnight say, okay, this time, boys. I think he probably heard the whole conversation. He goes, no, Betty, you're making a mistake. These boys have done plenty and, did, and got away with it. <laughs> yeah, my father was not merciful, okay? Not merciful. So we did our labor, all right? So it was, it was someone that could have shown mercy but didn't, okay? It was not merciful. Mercy is the compassionate treatment of those in distress, especially when it is within one's power to punish or harm them. You are in a position of authority or influence over somebody else, and they've got punishment or something coming because they may deserve it or whatever it may be, and you can withhold that. It's compassion. Compassion and mercy go hand in hand. 30 years later from this incident in 1974, exactly 30 years later, Sue and Christy and I are in Brazil. I'm the principal of that school. (laughs) In that very same classroom, the 7th and 8th grade classroom, in the morning, the kids were goofing around. And at lunchtime, the teacher told me about it. Because I was going to be going into that classroom to teach a class that afternoon. So the teacher told me what these kids had done. I, I shouldn't tell you, I mean, how well I should tell you this or not because of you young people in here because it is going to give you a great idea. I'll do it anyways because I'm merciful. Sorry, parents. They had constructed bows and arrows out of rulers and rubber bands and the arrows were pencils and it worked like a charm. The, 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 the rulers were bendy enough to create the tension needed and so forth. And right in the middle of the ruler was a hole and the pencil would fit right through that thing. And it made a perfect bow and arrow. And the kids, it had caught on quickly with the kids, these seventh graders and eighth graders, and they were sitting at their desks, the ceiling was styrofoam panels. <laughs> and they were popping these things up in, and it would stick into the ceiling. And there were fans, ceiling fans in the room that were turned off. And the rule, the, the pencil stuck down just far enough that when you turn those fans on, it's going to hit those things and make a noise and create a ruckus. And they all knew it. And the English teacher also knew it. And he says, I'm going to let the principal deal with this. So he came and told me what the deal was, and so that afternoon I was going to go into class knowing I was facing a bunch of pencils in the ceiling and a bunch of guilty kids. When I walked into that classroom, every eye was on me. They did not know that I knew. I walked in and I reached for the switch on the wall for the fans. 
and you could hear them taking a breath. I go, what? And they all looked up at the ceiling. And so, uh, what is the, all that? Can you guys tell me how you did that? And they showed me. They showed me their instruments of creativity. I had a, I had a, a this is a moment to hammer or to be gracious. I remember when I was not treated graciously. So doggone it, I'm going to deal with them. I said, you guys, I sat exactly where you're sitting 30 years ago. I wish I would have come up with that idea. (laughs) But you can't be doing that. So don't do it, but I think it's really cool. (laughs) I tell you this story because... A number of years ago, not that many years ago, when Sue and I, Christy, were still in Missouri, one of those students had gone through missionary training now at the center where we were. And she wrote an essay about that moment. She wrote an essay about mercy. Who knows? (laughs) It's one of the things you never know. But God gave me an opportunity in that moment, whatever with that. Mercy goes a long ways, and we have the opportunity to, for, to uh, show mercy because we have been shown mercy. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Mercy, compassion, and love are all woven together. When you think of the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son came to his father and said, I want to buy my, in- I want my inheritance, not buy, I want, I want my inheritance now. Okay, that's crazy. You get your inheritance when the time comes for your inheritance. Furthermore, it was really a very sacred thing, an inheritance. But the father, in his love and grace, said, here you go, son, here's your inheritance. And we know the son went and he squandered it. He ended up with the pigs and it was a horrible story. He just totally wasted everything. It was terrible. And in, in the lowest point, he's going, man, even the servants of my home are eating better, are treated better than I am right now. Woe is me, and he repented. And he goes back to his father. Of all things, the father has every right to say, you get out of here. You abused your inheritance that I had set aside for you. But instead, in Luke, we read these things. So he returned home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now is found. So the party began. It's speaking of God, our heavenly father. That's what the story is about. This is the mercy that he extends to you and me. When we define mercy, this is it. Phillips, Craig, and Dean many years ago had a song called Mercy Came Running. Mercy Came Running. And the song is about, I was just in just such a bad place. I couldn't even call out for help. I didn't even know how to ask God for help. It was just not able to do that, but mercy came running. 
Mercy is a noun, but it is action all over it, and it's aggressive, and it gets after it. That is our Heavenly Father's mercy that he extends. That is the definition of mercy. Well, why do we need mercy? (laughs) Why do you need mercy? Most of us in here, if not every one of us, knows that we need mercy. Before Almighty God, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We need mercy. That verse just says it all. But there's so much in Scripture that shows why we need mercy. I don't want to take a complete bath in this, but I want us to hear what the Scripture says about you and me apart from God and what that looks like. You know what? In fact, in Scripture, it not only says we need mercy, we need rescue. We are so in desperate need. We are so desperately lost and helpless and hopeless that we not only need mercy, we need absolute rescue. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Hallelujah! That he provides that. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, Isaiah 53. Romans goes on. Listen to all these things. No, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. See, apart from God, we don't seek him. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is a a snake is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In Galatians, now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, on and on it goes of how horrible humankind is apart from God. In fact, Paul, if you're going, man, I I get that, but I'm saved, I'm a believer. I've trusted in Jesus. We still need God's mercy, don't we? Oh, we still need God's mercy. Paul in Romans 7 talks about the war within himself. For we know that the law is spiritual. He's not about the law and fulfilling the law and obeying the law and so forth, which is a good thing, but boy, it's tough to do that. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, because we are born with a sin nature. But I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want... I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Because we live in a fallen world and we are a part of it. And it's all around us. This thing of being a fallen world is all around us. 
We, we read in Romans 8, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Praise God, he saves us. He has forgiven us. And we can walk in righteousness. The, 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 uh, the, the bond of sin is broken. Praise God for that. But we still walk. We still deal with the flesh. We need mercy. Jeremiah 17, 9 talks about our heart being desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's what our hearts are made out of. How many of you get frustrated with yourself? You just get frustrated. I wish I would do the right thing. Okay, today, Lord, help me. (laughs) But when that person does that, it just pushes my button. You have things that push your button? Me too. And my family knows what they are. (laughs) Talk about my dad being the principal. My dad always, he knew me inside and out, and every innuendo, he'd call me on it. He passed that to his granddaughter, my child, my grown daughter. I can't get away with anything around her. She's watching me, and she goes, Dad, I know what you're thinking. I go, you get away from me, you punk. I tell you what. (laughs) The heart stinks. The unregenerate heart especially. But even those who have been regenerated, we still deal with the flesh. It's a wicked, nasty thing. It's insidious. That word means it's sneaky. Sometimes you might be doing something that you're being merciful to somebody. Man, I'm doing a good thing for this person. And pretty soon you're patting yourself on the back going, yeah, pretty good. And there you are right back in a stinky place. Pride has just taken over. (laughs) Somebody has said, if you knew what was in the heart of the person sitting next to you, you would move. (laughs) We're going to have a time of confession right now. Lex, you want to go first? All right. I'm telling you, even as Pastor Aaron mentioned uh, not long ago, Everybody in here is capable of doing the worst things imaginable. Of every bad thing that's ever been done, every deep sin that's ever been committed, every crime that's been committed, every person in this room is capable of committing that. That's what we're made of. We need rescue, people. We need God's mercy. Oh, we need his redemption. We need help. We need hope. So, what are the mercies of God? God is, this is an attribute of God that he is mercy. He is full of mercy. His mercies are new every morning. We sang that song that says exactly that. It comes from Lamentations. Jeremiah is writing. Look at it. If you open your Bible to Lamentations chapter three, if you're going, I have no idea where Lamentations is. It's, it's kind of right in the middle of the Bible. And so Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. That's where it is. Lamentations 3. I want you to look at it, okay? Let's everybody turn there. Lamentations 3. I find it kind of a critical verse for us. We're going to look at verse 21. So we're in Lamentations 3.21. It says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So... This, right before this verse, 
lamentation. This is Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And the passage right below, before, and a whole lot of text before, it's all the hard stuff they're facing. And exile and all of that, and it's woe is me, and it's bad. The description is unbelievable. It's dark. There is no hope. But then he says this, but this I call to mind. Then I remember that there is hope. I do have hope, and here is why. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Hallelujah. What this is telling us is that no matter what we face, how dark it is, how discouraged you may be, how down in the dumps you may be, God's mercies are new every morning, his love never fails, and he's bigger than all of it. But it says mercies, it's plural. I thought mercy meant he's just merciful, but it's plural. So now let's go back to our text, Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 2. And it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Those benefits are his mercies. All the gracious and merciful and good things that God does for you and me are his mercy. I love the verse that says that rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And that rain, which I think I even saw it's supposed to rain tomorrow, I can't wait. It's a wonderful thing when it rains, but it falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's because God is gracious and merciful. That's what that is. So the rest of this chapter, most of it is just outlining God's mercies. So here we go. Let's take a bath in God's mercies. You ready? Let's just take a look. Who forgives all your iniquity. Hello. He forgives all your sin. He forgives all my sin, all my sin, not some, all, every sin you've ever committed, are committing, and will commit, he forgives. 1 John 1, 9, you know it. He's faithful if we forgive our sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. will forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. That's a mercy of God to you. Who heals all your diseases, we will be healed in the end. We will all be healed in the end. Who redeems your life from the pit, whether it's the pit of hell or in a low spot that you're in, he redeems your life, he saves your life, he rescues you. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, he crowns you, he crowns you. He puts a crown on your head of his steadfast love and mercy. In other words, it's a constant, it's a persistent thing that he does. When he puts the crown of his steadfast love on your head and his mercy on your head, there it sits. And it follows you wherever you go, whatever you are doing, no matter how hard you stumble, his steadfast love and his mercy are upon you. In our humanness and in the way we do life, we're so... A wired for awards consequences. 
that when we mess up, bam, you get hammered. But God's steadfast love and his mercy stay with you. He's crowned you with those always, and they never leave. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He satisfies you with good. Christy and I did the Klahani Trail the other day. I've never done that one in my life, and we'll never do it again, but it was just great. It was great. It was a father-daughter thing, and it had to be done, and we had a great time, and it was ridiculously beautiful. It is the most spectacular trail I've ever been on in my life. The views are just, I mean, when they say breathtaking, it is. It's sweeping views over the strait and back on the mountains, but then the flowers everywhere, even for a colorblind person, it was incredible, spectacular, and it is rejuvenating. It's like, God, look what you have done. You made this. And it says that we're renewed like eagles. <laughs> no comment on the heights and altitudes and stuff. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. In our day and age these days, there is so much about social justice. So much. It's a button pusher for me. I've watched Dances with Wolves twice, and I bawled every time, both times. The injustice of the mistreatment of people to me is just disgusting. I hate it. And I know you do as well. So does God. He will make it right. Even as Pastor Aaron said last week, in the end, with his justice, it will all be made right. Hallelujah. He made his, known his ways to Moses, the acts of the people. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. There it is again. Steadfast love is a theme you can read all over Scripture. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us. Okay, his anger. Very briefly, when we think of righteous anger, we always think about Jesus in the temple overturning the tables, and yeah, he was angry. God's righteous anger is at actions. It is not at people. People may fall under his wrath, but it's about their actions. It's not about them personally. Because God's love is steadfast. He is compassionate to everybody. There's a lesson for all of us. When we think, yeah, I got righteous anger about that person. I'm going to go deck them. That's not, uh-huh. <laughs> That's not how it works. I'm angry about what they are doing. But I'm called to be compassionate and loving to them because God loves. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Praise him for that. We don't deserve to be here, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. They are gone. When we confess those before him, he takes those and he throws them away, and they are gone Praise him. That is his mercy to us. This is the father who has called us into a right relationship with him, to walk with him. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're a dust. Our frame is what we're made of. He knows we have flesh. He knows we're human. He understands that. Even in Hebrews, it tells us that we have a high priest in Jesus. It's not a high priest who does not understand us. It's a high priest who lived his life on earth. He understands what we're made of. He understands that you have buttons that get pushed. He understands that you have a short fuse in a certain situation. Or whatever it may be, he understands all that. And he's there to provide mercy and grace and forgiveness to you. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. This describing us is the contrast between you, me, and him. We're here for a time on earth. However long the life is that God has given us, some are short, some are long. In the big scheme of things of eternity, it's all short. We're here, and then we're not. When you consider eternity, our lifespan is short. We're like the flowers that come. We even saw flowers up there that were already fading. They were shriveled up because their time was done. Others that were in full bloom. But in short order, they too will be gone. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. His love, his mercy, his redemption goes all the way over there and never stops and all the way over there and never stops and it covers all. Your sin, your frailty is nothing compared to his great and wonderful mercy. It covers everything. There's not a single thing you can do, say, think, that it is not covered by his gracious mercy. What do we do with this? So what do we do with this? God's mercy, how do I respond to God's mercy? Well, in this chapter, it opens with, bless the Lord of my soul, all that's within me, bless his holy name. Verse 20, bless the Lord, O you his angels, You mighty ones who do his work. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. Bless the Lord, all his works. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Seven times he says, bless the Lord. Give him worship. Give him praise for his great mercy. I want to end with Romans 12, though. Everybody turn to Romans 12, please. Romans 12. Romans 12, 1. Romans 12.1 starts with the word therefore. Therefore. That means all this bunch of stuff came beforehand. Well, for us, therefore, since, well, it goes on to say in NIV, it reads like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, With all of God's mercy in view, now that we've talked about his mercy, and there's so much more to be said about his mercy, but because of his great mercy, and in the the chapter here, it's talking about theologically all the things that Paul had spelled out in the book of Romans about our sin and our salvation and our sanctification, all theologically what God has done for us because of his great love and mercy, 
What do we do with that? Therefore, here's what you do in the worship him. Because the answer is, and we sit read in, Lam- in uh, Psalms, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless him. Give him honor. Worship him. Praise him. Be grateful. Lord, thank you for your great mercy and your love. But Romans says, here's another way for you to worship him. Here's another way to respond to his great mercy to you. And it's offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Lord, here I am. Because of your great mercy, I want to just serve you. I want to just serve you. I want my life to be of service to you, Lord. Whatever you want of me, I'm here to serve you. And I want to say something. It is serving him, it is not serving other people. It is serving him. Now, in service to him, it's going to mean I want you to serve my people. I want you to serve horizontally. But our focus is not the horizontal serving. We do that, but it all begins with I'm doing it as an act of worship to Almighty God. Lord, what have you called me to do this day? Because you have shown me such great mercy, I want to be a part of what you are doing. I want to offer my body as a worship to you as I sacrifice my time, my energy, my funds, whatever it may be, to you. Daily, every day. And the thing is, in Ephesians 2.10, we read that he has prepared works for you to do in advance. They're already there. He's got stuff for every one of us here to be doing even this day and tomorrow, and so forth. VBS, those are serving this week in VBS, this is your act of worship. You're offering your bodies as a living sacrifice this week. Praise God. I love that. As we bask in his great mercy, we bless his name with praise, with gratitude, with thanksgiving. We give him glory. We serve him. We are attentive to his leading in our lives some of the ways in which he may use you. Mercy doesn't always involve grand moments or gestures, but it always treats the position of influence, authority, or power. It acts from gently. Mercy makes room for others. Sometimes mercy means choosing not to complain to the restaurant manager when the service you receive was lacking. That is the mercy of kindness. Sometimes mercy means not making it difficult for the person who offended you to apologize, that is the mercy of forgiveness. Sometimes mercy means correcting someone gently and not acting smug or vindictive, that is the mercy of grace. As we have been shown mercy, may we then in turn show mercy to others in his strength and by his power. God, his mercy was embodied in the person of Jesus Christ embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Romans 5 tells us, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That, my friends, is mercy that he extended to us. In the cross... God's mercy, God's justice come together perfectly in harmony. They're demonstrated, they're manifested in the cross. 
Hebrews 9 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The blood that we read about all through Scripture going through the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, the atonement for sin was the shedding of blood right back to the Garden of Eden and all the way through until Jesus shed his blood, his lifeblood, his sacred blood, his holy blood, his perfect blood that was shed to pay to atone for your sin and for mine. That is God's mercy. That's why Steve was able to read that verse, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. He extends his mercy. It's he who has done that. Here's the irony to me. Jesus endured no mercy in order to give us mercy. Jesus endured no mercy when he went to the cross that he might give us his mercy. Mercy. 